You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Business of being an entrepreneur and what it takes to get a business off the ground. You know, many people start a business, but few start and sell more than one. And even fewer start businesses that are totally unrelated in products and services. Today, my guest, Mark Allen of the highly successful Australian bakery that's located in Marietta, a suburb of Atlanta, is also the owner of an innovative suspension system for cars, Elite Suspension Systems, and will share some insight about what his really fascinating backstory is, as well as his quest to find success uh, here in the U.S. Welcome to the Business Hour, Mark. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate it very much. So, Mark, I want to start off with the basics and have you describe the Australian bakery, uh, and then we'll get into your automobile performance product and business, the elite suspension systems. But... When a customer walks into the Australian bakery, which I, I might add is on the square in Marietta, a really uh, quaint little uh, uh, collection of, sh- of shops and businesses, uh, restaurants on the square, uh, and as I mentioned, is uh, just north of Metro Atlanta, and uh, it's, it's a really neat location. A little bit I'll ask you about how you chose that location, and when they walk in the door, what can they expect to to find in the range of uh, of 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 actual bakery items and and maybe let's start with the savory side and uh we'll talk about the conventional convection uh, confection like bakery goods in just a moment but what what kinds of uh tasty items can they expect to find when they walk into the australian bakery well, to start with, uh, Ron, I mean, with the Australian Bakery Cafe, uh, we've got one in Marietta, we've got one in Cumming. Um, when you walk into our store, we wanted to create a different appearance, and, and being in the Australian Bakery, we are the only authentic Australian bakery in the country, and that's the thing we wanted to achieve. And to achieve that, we did all the original recipes of what we developed over the years. So we've got the meat pies, which we have the largest selection in the USA, period, of meat pies. We have 28 different varieties, flavours between beef, pork, vegetarian, chicken, um, and anything else that your imagination may want to come up with. Now, now I was going to uh, take a moment later on to have you drill down, for us to drill down and talk about uh, about your meat pies, but let's, we might as well do it just right here at the start of the program. Uh, a lot of Americans are not familiar with with a meat pie. Uh, if they, particularly if they haven't been abroad, um, they the they're just not sure. They're probably thinking in terms of a uh, a more quiche like or uh, a circular pie. Uh, you make a really nice uh, uh, handheld, or you know, uh, eat it with a fork and a knife, but uh, a nice little pastry uh, that's filled with uh, things other than meat, but but the meat pies, of course, uh, feature the meat. Let's talk, drill down for a moment, and tell me about some of those 28 different flavors uh, and, and, and which are, uh, uh, it, it's a unique product to Australia. So tell us more about that. Um, the original meat pie, let's get in, into the meat pie itself, the, just the steak and the gravy. Um, that's how much tra- traditional meat pie in Australia. You eat that at the football, wherever you want to eat it in Australia. Um, 
and then we have we, we come out with different varieties. You got the sausage rolls, and then uh, we have the uh, Cornish pasty or the veggie pasty. Um, and then we started getting into more applying to more people's flavours on um, what is um, what people like and what they don't like and stuff like that. So we end up coming up with different like, varieties like steak and cheese, steak cheese and bacon, um, barbecue chicken, which are for the American market. And then people started to discover when they were from South Africa, England, Scotland, that we started developing flavours for them, steak and pepper and, you know, the pork pie and stuff like that. So all of a sudden, now we've got 28 different varieties of meat pies. Now, uh, the uh, steak and cheese and bacon, is that uh, typical for Australia? It, it, when we, um, Devin and I did our time in Australia, had bakeries in Australia, it was not really a, a pie to, to, to be talked about because everyone was just very happy with just a straight bland meat pie. But now you go back to Australia now and people are just like, oh, wow, what a great concept. Um, different flavours. These are considered gourmet pies, but we've made it just a standard run-of-the-mill it's our, one of our standard items, and we sell a lot of them. Because um, uh, one of the pies that I had uh, on my last visit was, I mentioned the steak, cheese, and and bacon. And, and uh, millions of Americans uh, love steak, love cheese, love bacon. And so that particular pie... Along with some variations on it, um, are uh, it, it's enough of a reason for an American, and you you add the pastry to it. It's enough of a, of a reason for anyone anywhere in the world to want to uh, to to try it. But it's also, even though it's uh, <clears throat> originally an Australian concept, it's not unlike, and and it's not something you and I uh, really talked about, but the. Uh, empanada in, uh, in in Latin countries, mm-hmm. the 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 Perovsky, I guess in 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 Russia. Yep. You know, there are they are pastries that are oftentimes filled with meat. Very very, uh, very common product. Very very similar in a lot of things. You know, they are similar. A lot a lot of countries have got a little bit of a different take on the similar concept. You know, some deep fry it, but a lot of them bake it. And like you said, the pierogies, the Russians, and all that sort of stuff. So when all these Europeans come to our bakery, I just go, oh my god. Look at this. This is this is very similar to what we have, and then they try it, and they go, "Oh, wow! This is just like home." And the Ned Kelly is that just uh, adding uh, the egg to the, uh, the steak Kelly, cheese? And the Ned Kelly, we 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 saw that in Australia one day. Um, one another person over there developed it, and um, we saw it. It's just like, wow! It's steak and gravy. Got an egg put on top of it with cheese and bacon on top of that, and it's just baked off. And yeah, you know, who doesn't like those all four proteins? You can't you can't beat it. Steak, egg, cheese, bacon. Yeah, in fact, you know we have uh, now um, you know bacon, egg, and cheese biscuits uh, here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And you know I won't be surprised if, if uh, the Australian bakery uh, or, or the Australian culture is ripped off by a McDonald's at some point in time, and we see a bacon, egg, and cheese or a steak, cheese, and egg. Uh, Variation on the menu at, at McDonald's. I mean, you know, that's just how things evolve, and yeah, and, yeah. and it just has incredible appeal. So, you have this range of meat pies, and they're all baked fresh in your store every day. Every day. Yep. Uh, in fact, I think I was in there when I heard you, uh, uh, and I loved this. I. <laughs> You yelled out fresh pies out of the oven or something like that. Yep, we yell that out every time we bring out whatever flavor we've got coming out of the oven. 
um, it's yelled out. And yep. the staff rectify that through the, through the store and trying to, create, trying to create a great environment. You know? so, so, so consequently, my uh, uh, steak, uh, cheese, uh, and bacon uh, was out of the oven from just moments, like a few minutes before when yep. I tried it. Yep. Yeah. Yep, that'd be correct. Okay, now... Um, Let's let's just talk about the the, um, the more conventional side of the bakery. Uh, you have some really really tasty items, uh, some of which are conventional bakery items, sweet bakery items. But tell us about w- what a person could expect on that side of the spectrum. Well, when you walk in, obviously you walk in and see the big display case of our pies, and on top of that we have desserts. Um, we have a, a complete range of Australian desserts, um, not all of them, just a, a selection of them. Uh, we've got the, the world world famous pavlova. We have the um, world fam- uh, world famous lamingtons and um, just various desserts that, that, that pertain to Australia. And then another case you, you went around and probably saw was all the cookies and baklava. And um, we try and cover an international flavour of what we do, uh, not just Australia, because Australia, America are all made up of international people. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not just one particular culture; we're a mixture of cultures. You had a brownie with a, a chocolate frosting, and also you had a was it a caramel? Yeah, uh, caramel brownie? slice. Yeah, the caramel slice, and then we have the hedgehog, which is which is chocolate with chocolate with chocolate with a little <laughs> wafer with chocolate on top. So if you don't like chocolate, maybe not the one you want to have, you know. But you know, and then we have a full range of sandwiches, um, and then we have a full range of soups, um, and then we have our cooked breakfast menus, uh, the grill and stuff like that. So we've tried to keep a. a comp- a broad range of stuff to try and satisfy our customers because you know Australians, English, or we're a very savoury sort of race. We, we like more. We like more savoury than we do sweets. You know, I I um, I made the comment to you that I thought that your um, your particular mix of products um, could succeed in really almost any city in the world more so in the 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 meat and 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 pastry uh centered cultures for sure uh but that's still most of them and you uh you've kind of created this range that goes beyond that so i think that uh your particular concept and i know you've given it some thought is is something that that work in Every major market. Uh, I know you're thinking about. Uh, you had you mentioned you have the store in Marietta and the store in Cumming, uh, and that uh, you, there may be uh, another one or two in the Metro Atlanta area. Um, we're looking at opening another one up here shortly in Metro, um, at 85 place somewhere. Um, but we have some sub stores around the country too, uh, like a little sub franchise. Um, we have one in Virginia, we've got one in Bahamas, and we've got one in North Carolina, and we're negotiating one in Florida right now. And that's because you ship uh, them. We ship, we ship our pies all over the U.S. Overnight, you, overnight they arrive overnight, in Virginia and yep, anywhere in the fifty odd states. Okay, so to add to this mix, uh, which you know, uh, people love a good bakery that bakes just sweet goods. People mm-hmm. love a bakery that uh, where you can find savory goods. People love a sandwich shop, a good sandwich shop, that's a good correct. soup yep. shop, and you've mm-hmm. got all of those products mm-hmm. plus. You have a range of other what we might call dry goods or things which are uh, canned, bottled groceries. Uh, groceries, yeah. uh, but but they're uh, kind of have a either an international or some sort of a um, taste treat 
quality, we'll call it. I, you know, I don't know how to characterize it. Well, tell, but tell, tell us about that. The groceries and that sort of stuff we got, um, all for what we're probably, probably the best way to describe this is the Commonwealth. That's right. Any, any country that has been dominated or been influenced by England over the last three, four, five hundred years, um, all our products, all the, you know, like candy bars and stuff like that, are all very, very similar. The chocolate is very similar. You know, chocolate's totally different to an American chocolate. You know, this is real chocolate. It's got real good chocolate fat in it and stuff like that. Um, and they're all products, biscuits, cookies, and well, you call them cookies, we call them biscuits, um, and candy bars and all that sort of stuff are all portrayed to it, different sources and canned goods and stuff like that. Vegemite? Vegemite, definitely, definitely Vegemite. You can't go wrong with Vegemite. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and so how did you... Did, I can't imagine, but you might have started from day one with the range of those particular grocery products, or did have, have you evolved? Did you kind of add things along the way? We kind in some ways, right, but like all the groceries, the pies, sandwiches, desserts, we started that out from scratch right from the beginning to try and keep ourselves with a good cash flow, to accommodate for the different weather periods, you know, from summertime to wintertime, you know, and people want something different. Don't. Um, in summertime, you want some sandwiches. Hot, you know, during the wintertime, nice hot soup and pies, and you can't go wrong with that. Well, we're going to talk in a little bit about uh, the strategy of thinking that went into um, the way that you started off the business here uh, at the Australian bakery here in the U.S., uh, because you had some experience, uh, mm-hmm. and you were able to think out in advance, well, what range of products do I want to have here that would be uh, successful year-round. Uh, we'll uh, take a break, and when we come back, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. We're here with Mark Ellen, uh, the founder and operator of the Australian Bakery. We'll be right back and talk about some other entrepreneurial ventures uh, that Mark's uh, been involved with when we uh, come back. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Mark Allen, the founder and operator of the Australian Bakery, of which there are two here in Atlanta, but uh, just wait and see. Uh, as we talk about the Australian Bakery, you'll see that it's the kind of business that has very, very widespread appeal. And I, I think that, Mark, uh, you've probably had to carefully weigh what the options are. You mentioned that, that you have... Uh, mini shops uh, around the country and the Bahamas is that what you yeah we've got a small one in Bahamas yes in a yeah. Hotel yeah there the the potential is so uh, far and wide for sending uh, meat pies out overnight and and uh, more so than some of the other bakery goods because I think they probably might have sources in their regions but not for the meat pies as much uh, and we were talking about the range of products and the product mix. Um, you have, and we're not going to get just yet into the early experience as a uh, an entrepreneur, but maybe we'll talk a little bit about how you had been around the block as a baker uh, in Australia so that when it came time, and maybe we should talk about um, how you decided that you would open a bakery as an entrepreneur, uh, open a bakery, and then we're going to start to talk about what thoughts uh, went into the location of the bakery and the strategy behind the product mix, which is what I was hinting at when I said that you'd been around the block. So you kind of had an idea. Uh, you want it to be more than just your average bakery. And, and you are so much more than the average bakery. Um, you know, you, you could almost aptly be called uh, the Australian Bakery uh, Cafe and Grocery uh, uh, Store. Uh, and so what... When you arrived here, what, what 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 experience were you drawing upon to stop and think? And and you must have consciously, maybe even with a pen and pad, uh, written out uh, these are all the things that I want to make, and these are all the things that I want to carry on, on the grocery side. What, what went into that process? Well, when we first got here, uh, the first my first visit is yeah, we're trying to find a meat pie somewhere to eat. And it's just like, couldn't find one. It's like, wow, what a great opportunity. Um, so when we came back <coughs> uh, later in years, uh, I had a, one of my old partners from Australia uh, come across. And uh, I asked him, what are you up to now? And he's like, well, nothing. I've sold my business. And, yeah, so you want to set up a bakery over here? It's like, yeah. So we went ahead and did it. So did we sit down a pen and paper? Yeah. We sat down with pen and paper. We looked at what products we're carrying in Australia what people accepted here and then we looked at what our cash flow would be because you know we had to make sure we had cash flow 12 months of the year you couldn't make everything under the sun and you couldn't uh, stock everything under the sun so you yeah. kind of pared it down we pared it down to you know just keeping the bottom line so you know for the winter time we had to work out what sold for winter which was all hot pies and soups and stuff like that and then you know people want to eat hot stuff in summertime no not really so then we had our sandwich range which we developed with australian twists and that sort of stuff um and then with the grocery items so it's just another ring up so if somebody comes in and buys a meat pie um and we're a destination location is the best way to explain it we, we don't rely too much on foot traffic 
it's all just people come to us because who or what we are and what we got. Yeah, we're going to get into for in a moment uh, part of why that is mm-hmm. that uh, people seek yep. you out. Yep. So anyway, so we developed that and try to create a structure, a menu around to create cash flow that keep a consistent consistent cash flow all month, all year round. Instead of trying to you know work very hard during one period of the year, and then the other part of the year, all you're doing is eating away all your savings to try and stay open. And, and you know that is one of the downfalls of a lot of businesses, it or is. Uh, pr- yes. uh, you know particularly retail businesses that are re- relying on foot traffic and uh, food and beverage uh, uh, businesses that aren't thinking in terms of uh, seasonal uh, traffic and consumption. And, and would you say that your background as a baker and as a, a business person in general? helped you think that way to yes. be conscious about uh, your product mix well yes I mean you just can't go into this sort of thing as a, as a dream you know you don't do one job one day and go oh I want to have my own restaurant um, for us or for me particularly I've had my own businesses in various different um, uh, levels and being a baker and stuff like that and in the food business you, 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 you start looking at all what the downfalls of the business are what the upsides of a business is and then try and eliminate as, as much risk as possible to make an operation work and I don't know if it's food or any other sort of business the concept's fairly basic but a lot of people I've got it from experience you know I've just learned it over the years you know so um, isn't a particular science yeah, some people tell you it is. Some people tell you it's not. But well, when I mean, you're looking at the product mix and thinking about profitability, you yes. know, throughout the year, you know that yeah. that, that, that there's a science be, behind there, that. There, it's it's a how behind. how technical you are, and how much of that is just good instinct. You know, uh, I I always like to think that some of the best business people have a balance of those two things. You know, information, data, technical analysis, yeah, yeah, but yeah. also good instincts. Yeah, it's, it's good instincts. You're also working out what the cost of goods are, cost of labor, you know, cost of what profit is, waste factor. And you know, and then just you know, what's going on with the staff and all that sort of stuff. There's a lot of there's a lot of the gears working that make something work. And, and I think experience and instinct is is very prudent to that to happen. There are a lot of businesses, some of which have more moving parts than others. Correct. A bakery for which you have ovens and recipes, the mixing of those ingredients that go into the bakery adding the people to the mix to come up with a range of products. There are a lot of moving parts. And um, I don't mean to uh, tease the audience, listening audience too much, but you know we're going to get into uh, the, the notion of lots of moving parts and, and how uh, you are a mechanical engineer of sorts, which are an innovator, which apply has applied a lot of those instincts to the the bakery business. And also, uh, I want to hint at the earliest roots of your entrepreneurialism, but we're not going to get into that just yet because we're going to talk about the overall theme. You know, when you when we, you talked about being a destination. When you walk into the Australian bakery, it's really kind of a delightful experience of almost walking into an Australian museum. You know, you've got the the mural on the left uh, with the Sydney uh, Harbour and Opera House. You've got the Uluru, which some people are familiar with if you've seen uh, any travelogues. And there's a shot of the big red rock, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a mural on the right wall. 
And then you go in and describe how you managed to kind of capture uh, some Australian uh, culture and flair. Uh, and did that all start off from day one, or did that kind of grow organically? Did you add uh, stuff to it? Some of the stuff we added to it, I mean, Ron, when we first started, we had the two murals, as you talked about. You had Uluru, uh, the big big rock, or some people know it as um, Ayers Rock. Ayers Rock. Right, right, but its correct name now is Uluru because it's been renamed back as original. And then we have um, Sydney Harbour Bridge and the Opera House on the other side. And we had them right from the beginning. We wanted to give that what people the Americans felt comfortable with there are the two icons that if you talk to any American hands they're, down there are the two icons that people oh yeah they're the two things we want to do so we needed not to alienate our customer so when they walk in the door they've got something they can relate to oh big red the, rock on the, the right and, 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 and beautiful white uh, bridge and, and the opera house opera yeah. house so all of a sudden you've got them in the door now and got, they're feeling kind of a little relaxed now they've gone from curiosity to I'm not sure if I want to come in here and then you got them sort of welcomed, and they see the big case of, of the pies and the desserts and stuff like that. And then you look up, you see all the flags, and a lot of people think, we've just got one flag in Australia. But we've got our six states and all the islands and stuff like that, so all our ceiling is filled with all our flags from the various states and territories we have in Australia. And then, you know, on the, up on the top right, you probably saw that was the Olympic flag, which was the original Olympic flag that did the bid for the Australian 2000 Games. And I got that from a favour owed to me by one of the uh, ambassadors up in Washington DC and um, he said well, yeah I looked at the flag and said what are you doing with that and he's like well I don't know that's why you want it and I said well I think I wouldn't mind getting one of those favours returned so um, we got the original flag so and, it's an icon by itself and you even have if you know there's there's no, no question about it uh, in terms of geography uh, either built geography or natural geography those are the two overwhelming symbols of Australia the Uluru Ayers Rock uh, uh, and the Sydney Opera House and the bridge on the on the left um, the third one would probably be the kangaroo and you even mm-hmm. have the, that represented in the in in the shop. Yep, yeah, we've got two big red kangaroos in the front front of the windows in the shops, and then we've got pictures up in the back there of all like the sheep farms and various other animals and that sort of stuff you can find in Australia. And we've tried not to make it too junky, but we tried to just come up with highlights for what people can relate to. Um, why Marietta? How did you uh, come up with that location? Because it seems to me that it's. <sighs> It's an ideal location for many different kinds of retailers, and there are a nice range on the square in Marietta, mm-hmm. but particularly for a, a store like yours. How did you come up with that idea? Well, I lived at the time, 20 years ago, I was living in Marietta, and um, and the square, you could see the square had lots of potential. It was sort of at the stage of ready to be developed, and... Um, Philip Goldstein was trying to bring in businesses. He, wanted, he owns a lot of the properties up there. And um, we looked at a number of places around Atlanta, Norcross and down in the city and a couple other places around. But the Marietta, the square had some appeal to it, had the courthouses, um, had traffic. They were trying to do some festivals up there. And you could see, And we talked to the committees and stuff like that. And we thought, I think this has got plenty of potential. It, it, it's on the ground floor growing. So... Um, Anyway, we, we hung around and waited for a building to come up for about 12 months. Um, and in the meantime, we started setting our plans, working out equipment, what equipment we needed and that sort of stuff. And it gave us time to, 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 to plan. So when we're re- when a building came available, we're ready to just go. 
You know, um, plazas or, or squares um, uh, have have been something that uh, you can see all around the world. I mean, you know, from China to Italy, uh, there are plazas or squares. Uh, did uh, and, and the U.S. Uh, you know, uh, we have uh, some malls, not the shopping malls, but large uh, outdoor open areas, like in Washington D.C. We have a few mall-like areas. Um, and in the last century, we built some squares in some small towns, but we got away from it. And uh, we have learned since that we should do more of them so we have some more modern squares. But I want to ask you after we take this break about um, are there squares in Australia and that that's part of why you looked at this and saw the potential. We're here with Mark Allen. He's the owner-operator of the Australian Bakery and also Elite suspension systems which we'll get into in the second half of the program we'll be back with mark right after this break perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction if not you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. I'm Medical Director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Mark Ellen, the founder and operator of the Australian Bakery and Cafe here in North Metro Atlanta, uh, with two uh, locations, actually. And, you know, if I sound like a commercial when I say that he has two locations, one in Marietta on the square and one in Cumming, it's not. It's to describe the scope of a business. And right now, Mark, if you've been listening, has a, a, a range of products that I personally think has an appeal that could work 
in a lot of cities around the world, you know, we, we talked about his meat pies and the other bakery goods and some of his grocery goods. This exact mix, I personally think, would fly. And so Mark will have more stores here in Metro Atlanta, but uh, there may be one coming to you soon. And that's not a commercial. That's just me characterizing the scope and the potential of what I personally think is a really tasty business. Uh, and before the break, we were talking about um, going into the his shop. And I would imagine that um, if you start to come close to duplicating the, the Marietta store, and I'm not familiar with the coming store, that you're going to have these, they're going to be like mini Australian museums of sorts. Okay, mm-hmm. and um, so he's going to capture that flavor, and hopefully that'll be carried over uh, into other uh, towns around the U.S. and and then maybe abroad. Um, you mentioned he has a, a mini shop in in, in the Bahamas. Uh, it's also true; it, it it it's undeniable that Australians around the world actually have a pretty good reputation as good people and that can't hurt the fact that uh, you could leverage a culture and a reputation for people that are fun loving tough yep. rugged um, adventurous uh, and uh, just play nice and then add to it the literal and figurative flavor of products like the meat pies you know it's it's just a really nice formula and 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 one of the reasons you're on the program mark is that you created and cultivated that formula and uh, i think you're 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 poised uh for for growth just before the break uh we were talking about um being located on the marietta square and how you recognize that you saw the potential uh, America had um, towns uh, modeled not unlike um, probably towns in, in Western Europe that had plazas or squares or little town centers. And we got away from that for decades. But now we're recognizing the value of a good uh, town square uh, to the vitality uh, and quality of life in a, in a small town or even a big town. And, and Maria had it, you know, and fortunately they didn't, they didn't uh, co- uh, concrete over the, you know, uh, bulldoze down the, and build up some new buildings or, or a mall. Mm-hmm. So you saw that potential. Are, were there little towns in uh, uh, Australia that well, you remembered? There was little towns in Australia. You know, Nevin and I both grew up in small towns, very small towns. We talked 450, 500 people. Um, our town it didn't really have a square, but it had a, an, an area which commemorative sort of like for military, you know, remembrance stuff and that sort of stuff. But there were some towns that had little squares or parks in the, in the actual towns themselves. But when we saw the Marietta Square, we just were like, wow, this has a huge amount of potential. It's had the right feel, had that sort of little bit of a country, but just downtown American feel about it. And we thought it was, we fell in love with it. Yeah, it's got and, an all-American feel, for yeah, sure. And now it's one of the most beautiful squares, if not in Atlanta, but almost in Georgia. I mean, there's a lot of great squares in, in Georgia itself, but this one just it grew and developed, and they've done a great job in developing, and we've been proud to be part of that over the last you know, 17 years. You know, one of the um, sub-themes that are reoccurring themes on, on this program, even though we're profiling uh, 
for-profit businesses. Uh, we've talked about uh, urban development from time to time, and we've had people from the Atlanta Regional Commission, and, and you know, everybody uh, likes a, a nice park, you know, likes to have green space. You know, a town square with a nice little park, I mean, you can't beat it for, for as a gathering place. And so... You made that decision uh, to locate yourself in uh, the town square in Marietta. And when I was in there on my last visit, I noticed that you had the most incredible range of customers. I mean, they were just kind of just coming in the door constantly until you propped the door open because it was a really nice day and, uh, and and it was a cool breeze coming in. Uh, you had the warm ovens at one end, the cool breeze at the other end, and you had young and old and everything in between, and black and white and Latino, and uh, didn't see any Asians on that uh, occasion, but uh, I'm sure uh, you had a, a United Nations of customers, and speaking of a United Nation of customers, there just happened to be a group of uh, uh pro and semi-pro cyclists. There's a, a, a team uh, that rides that originated on that day from uh, the inner city from, uh, I think you might have said Virginia Highland, went up to Kennesaw Mountain, was doing runs up the mountain, coming back into the city and stopped on the square and made their way into your store. And so those guys hung out mm-hmm. and were coming in uh, for more than one trip each, maybe, because they were sitting outside. And... Uh, that team actually was kind of a, a, an international group of guys. So, I mean, that was kind of indicative of the appeal. That happens quite often. I mean, the bike we get a lot of bike riders come in, and it's a, they always use the bakery as a stopover. It's like a good point for them. And they like to love the food, and they find stuff that's, that's healthy for them to eat. You know, just like, wow, this is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we actually, we should take a moment because uh, cyclists, are you know those guys uh, yes well they're particular there's a little like lean uh, fellows that uh, are women who uh, you want to hate because they're so svelte you know and they're certainly nutritious conscious but they all felt like they were getting good nutrition and uh, tasty uh, food at the same time mm-hmm. good good value with, uh, for the good and good nutrition and so stuff at, at a good price okay so mark um this is the point in time where we actually uh, go back and talk a little bit about um, growing up in Australia. And I want to get into your early entrepreneurial roots, but I'm not going to do that just yet. I'm going to talk about that period, which which goes back to the earliest times, I'm sure. Along with baking or cooking, you simultaneously were developing kind of a mechanical uh, uh, set of skills mm-hmm. and an appreciation for the automobile. Uh, and we'll get into a second about the hot rod culture in Australia. But now these two areas are, are percolating and, 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 and really... I mean, it's not. It's going to be years before you uh, own a bakery uh, or become an automotive uh, performance innovator. Um, where did the automotive part start early on uh, in 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 your life? Um, I had a bigger brother, and my brother was always buying car magazines and stuff like that, and I was. Just like wow, this is all pretty awesome, you know. And then um, we had a lot of car parts laying around the farm, you know. So I grew up on the farm, and um, so at the age of eight, nine, 
Um, my cousin visited from the city one time and, you know, we're always trying to do something, so we decided to build a car. So, you know, we had a chassis laying around in the, in, the, in the area and there was a motor sitting in the scrap pile and, you know, so we searched down and found a gearbox for it and we got it all put together and, and then um, we didn't have any tools. We had no um, block and tackles, no trees to put a rope around until winch anything up. So we had to figure out how do you put a 400-pound um, motor in a, in a chassis with two kids only weighed, you know, 65 pounds each. So we dug a big hole and slid the chassis into the hole and then put a board under the motor and slid the motor into the hole with the chassis and then got the jack, jacked the chassis up, put the wheels back on it and then pulled it out of the hole. So we had to work out different ones. We had to work out engineering feats without having any tools. You know, um, uh, I haven't heard a lot made of this, um, but farmers worldwide... Are, are really some of the most innovative people because when you operate a farm, particularly if it's in a developed country and you have tractors, for example, you know, mechanical equipment, uh, you can't be bringing in someone to fix your tractor uh, all the time. And you can't be, you know, when you're learning to mend fences or uh, fix your tractor or build a barn, you know, you're actually being uh, a very, very uh, creative innovator of sorts. So that's, and I mentioned this because I think this is true for lots of people who grow up on the farm, whether they stay on the farm or not. Mm-hmm. They're being brought up with a broad range of skills. Not everybody, you know, some some of the kids in, in a family have less to do. They might uh, milk the cows or feed the chickens or, or uh, build fences and but not really be into it and not certainly uh, the full range. But you were expa- exposed to the full range uh, right. of, of, of operating a farm because you had uh, 60,000 chickens? Something like that, yeah. And, and uh, also... Um, because your mother uh, was bedridden for a while with a spinal condition, mm-hmm. uh, uh, let's we, we're bouncing back and forth here, but we're talking about a critical period in, in Mark's development. And I think it's quite fascinating. Uh, that's the roots of you know we're talking about. We oh. just talked about the mechanical side. You were taking instructions from your mom about how to cook. That's correct. Yes. My mum was bed-bound for many, many, many years. She had a rare bone disease on her leg and made her disabled and full-body plaster. So she'd be spending lots of time in hospitals and long stints of time. But when she came home, she was still bedridden. So my father couldn't cook. And what what he did cook, he couldn't eat it. So it was either learn to cook or go hungry. So I'll take instructions from my mum from the bedroom. She'd yell out, you know, get, get the saucepan out, put butter in it, you know, whatever sort of meal we're cooking. And um, she instructed, and by the time I was nine, I was cooking roast chickens and full roast potatoes and good sit-down big meal and that sort of stuff and um, took all the instructions from her. And on my dad's side, you know, my dad was always, we couldn't afford to have a mechanic rebuild the motors or something like that, so the motor in one of the equipment broke down. My dad would pull the motor out, and would, I'd be there right next to helping him. And he'd pull the motor apart and put a new set of rings and bearings into the water, but needed to get repaired. And I'd learnt skills on that. And then it's all with welding. And you know, he was a carpenter uh, in the area, so I learnt to use, you know, hammer and nails and saws. And if it could be built, I played with it. You know, metal, steel, didn't matter what it was. And um, and learnt to cook at the same time. So at the early age, I left school when I was 15 and come an apprentice baker, dough maker and poster chef. 
Yeah, I, I'm going to take a break here, but I just want to say that uh, that what I was alluding to in terms of uh, children growing up on a farm, uh, learning to become innovative because of the full range of tasks. In your case, uh, it was the full range of tasks on steroids. Uh, you really learn to do a, a lot of different things, and we're going to talk about the side that is mechanical um, when, right after the break. We're going to take a break now. We're here with Mark Allen, the owner-operator of the Australian Bakery, but also we're going to get into Elite's Elite Suspension Systems right after the break. This is Dr. George from Peachtree ENT Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because we believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individual. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing, have frequent throat or sinus infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you will be treated as an individual and not as an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed and all your questions will be answered. When possible, natural treatments will be recommended to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Mark Allen, an entrepreneur and innovator. He's the owner-operator of the Australian Bakery here uh, in Atlanta with uh, mini shops uh, from Virginia to the Bahamas and, and, and in some other locations. And we were talking about the origins of his cooking and baking skills, which came at a very, very early age. But simultaneously, growing up on the farm, he developed a set of what we might call mechanical engineering. And that might be a highfalutin term for a a set of uh, skills, but that's really what they were. He learned how to fix things uh, on the farm. And I think that carried over into um, the innovation of a suspension system for a car, which we'll get into in a second. But we're going to talk about Australia having a hot rod uh, culture, mm-hmm. uh, uh, much like you would have found in Texas or California. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in some parts of the Midwest, you know, American graffiti, you know, kind of... Uh, even, take, here, even here in Georgia. Yeah, here in Georgia. Oh, throughout the country, no no, no doubt. Uh, but, but you know, you had uh, 
concentrations of the the culture, and I know that in Australia, you know, I, I I've seen uh, enough. Uh, uh, you know, it, you didn't have to see Mad Max to know that <laughs> that people were taking uh, old cars and 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 uh, souping them up. Um, but you kind of were exposed. You mentioned the magazines your older brother mm-hmm. had and building the car with your cousin. But I think the seeds were planted, and bring it to more recent times, and, and, you know, not today because it's actually years back, that you began thinking about um, a uh, suspension system. And you told me uh, um, before the program about a, uh, a, a time when you were talking with Panos. Yep. Uh, Panos, uh, the owner of the Panos uh Performance car company here, uh, in, based in Georgia, uh, got caught a reputation for custom cars, uh, custom performance cars, and you saw something that caused you to wonder why can't cars be a little more stable? Uh, is that right? Kind of, yeah. Um, we were down in um, St. Petersburg and they had their own racing team down there, and you know, the track is um, actually it was Sebring, I think it was. And uh, the track is beautiful one side and just a complete goat track the other side. Very, very rough. And the race driver broke his ribs while driving the car. Hard to imagine, but that was quite a common thing that was happening. So Danny and Don and myself, you know, were travelling back and um, and we are just talking about there's got to be a better way for the drivers. You know, it felt really bad for the drivers. And we talked about the different ideas, springs on the seat, this, that and everything else, all being tried by everybody else. And... Anyway, it was just like it was just a, it was a puzzle in my head, and it just was an itch. I had to fix it, I had to solve it. So anyway, one day I was on the aeroplane going to Australia and had all these ideas going from my head and pictures and stuff like that, and, and finally sketched something out on a piece of napkin and looked at it and got a visual and was like, okay, and then drew another drawing. And next thing you know, when I got back from Australia, I decided to make a prototype. And you had had a background as a. Uh, 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 a die maker. So, actually, is that right? Uh, my, you... grandfa- my grandfather was a die maker, patent die maker and stuff like that, but I learnt the patents from him. I learnt that skill from him. Okay, so you, you understood at least what went into the making of mechanical uh, parts, oh, yes. you know, the machining oh, yeah. of parts. Machinery work, labor work, all that sort of stuff, casting, founding. Right. Yeah. And Yeah, had a good grasp of all that. And so you took that idea uh, uh, to the napkin stage, we'll say, and then from there you uh, uh, developed a suspension system, which is still uh, continues now to be uh, used and refined. And can you? We're on the radio, so we're at a disadvantage. We don't have any visuals, but can you uh, describe uh, how that system makes a car more stable, uh, particularly over rough roads and, and through the turns? Well, part of the development was I kept talking to the crew chiefs and what was the biggest problem they had in the vehicle, how, how, what was the biggest issue. And they kept coming back to the spring. And as you know, with springs, right, they retain energy. So you push a spring in, right, it doesn't come back to where it starts from. It keeps extends past. So it's, it's tensioning up with energy and it's got to release the energy to its full extent. So that that was the common problem that all these race car crew chiefs and suspension people and that were telling me. So it's okay. So the problem's the spring. So let's eliminate the spring. So what do you got? You're back to a, a, a shock and a car on the ground. So I've just come up with something that didn't retain, retain energy. So we put a gas operation. It's one moving part with nine parts. No computers, no control modules, no nothing. It's very, very simple. So the gas itself 
takes takes the pressure, takes the, the energy fed into it, right, and then comes right back to static, right where it starts, and the energy just immediately disperses. It doesn't retain any energy. So matter. So rather than the string, the spring expanding and contracting and magnifying the the bumpy road, correct, yep. you were taking out uh, that uh, that kind of kinetic energy that expanded the spring. Basically, the best way we're distressing the whole suspension. We're taking the stress out of suspension. And people go, what? What are you doing that for? And that de-stresses the vehicle as you're driving along, and you control it. So if you hit the brakes. Your common car today, the nose, the front of the car goes down, the rear end of the car goes up, and in some cases, the rear end comes around and you lose control of your vehicle. Or you swerve to miss a deer, and you do that first swerve, and the car flexes and the rear end comes up on one side, and the front of the nose goes down, but then you've got to contract that and bring the vehicle back under control to keep it on the road. Then that exaggerates again, because all the springs are unleashing all this energy, and you know, you push energy in, and energy's got to come back out again. And next thing you know, you've got a rollover. With ours, you, you do the swerve, and it comes back to almost back to static. And, you know, this um, uh, system is um, was probably uh, thought about in terms of uh, helping stabilize the car, which would have added to the performance of the car, but it's also a safety feature. So it's yes. both a safety feature and a performance well, yeah, yeah, feature. Yeah, you've got a safety feature. Anything I think you can do to improve the, the handling of the vehicle, make the drive feel more confident, and to keep the vehicle on the road at all times. You know, it keeps the wheels on the ground all the times, where spring, if the spring gets going like you're going a rough corrugation, it gets what's called spring bound. It just binds up, spring bind, and we've eliminated all that. Okay, now we're gonna we're gonna turn to uh, a time in, in your childhood because I, I really love the story when you when I first heard uh, about it's the roots of of entrepreneurialism, and you know also a sub theme when we talk to to business owners uh, on this program, uh, and and we're. We're getting into the origins of whatever set of skills they cultivated through the years. Um, being an entrepreneur, you know, uh, buying and selling, um, buy low, sell high, you know, the basic principles of of a business uh, start uh, sometimes very early. And you have a story of entrepreneurialism, which is kind of the equivalent of the kid who uh, opened up the lemonade stand. But it's a little different. So tell us a little bit about uh, your earliest entrepreneurial chapter. Okay. First, I've heard it called the lemonade stand, but anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> being a innovator, I don't know, my mum sort of brought this out to me and told me many years ago later you know, about all this and what I was doing, but I remember doing it, is we had a poultry farm, you know, slash chickens, but, you know, um, cattle, sheep and that sort of stuff, right? But we had the big uh, uh, chicken sheds. And it was our job to always clean them out as kids. Chicken sheds. Yeah. Uh, I might... Uh, uh, sheds, sheds. <laughs> sheds correctly there. Chicken sheds, sheds yes. Yeah, okay. So, and it had chicken manure in the bottom of them. So, and anyway, come to find out that a lot of people like put chicken manure on their gardens. And people come around and start, you know, getting a bag of chicken manure off us and stuff like that. So I have eventually put this into a system where, okay, I'm eight-year-old... My dad's got a bunch of um, Hessian wheat bags laying down there, and I made a deal with him. I could buy the, the, the bags off him for 15 cents. And my brother, being seven years older than me, I was too small to, to carry the stuff around, so I paid him 20 cents to um, bag it all up and stack it out on the front of the, the, the road where people would drive past and made up a sign. 
So, and I'd sell them for a dollar a bag, and it had, you'd have to load it yourself because I was too small to load again, obviously. So, um, anyway, this went on for about six to twelve months, and um, I was making good money out of this. I was making, you know, eight, nine year old, I was making back then probably ten, twenty dollars a week, it was huge money. And, and I might add that uh, all over the world now, people are recycling uh, uh, animal waste uh, and, and and creating uh, manure and and various yeah, combinations. Yeah, yeah, yeah as, as composting yeah. for uh, for uh, fertilizing and mm-hmm. uh, and you know, so you were just uh, uh, an early adopter of sorts. Yeah. Uh, okay, so go on. So, well, we're filling a particular need for that. So anyway, my brother. You know, he's got his particular tal- talents and skills too, but businesses wasn't 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 one of them. So anyway, he finally got finally worked out after about six to twelve months. He's like, "Hang on a minute, fifteen cents for the bag. You're paying me twenty cents, and you're getting a dollar. So you're making so much profit." So he came back from the negotiation process. So he said to me, "He's like, okay, you're, you're having a go at me. You're, you're having a lend to me on this one. So I'm going to double the price. I'm filling the bags. I'm going to charge you forty cents a bag." And he said. And we'll see how you go with that. I was like, okay, um, all right, you can have your you know, extra twenty cents to load the bag, and that went on for the next three years. And I still didn't touch it, and still made profit. You know, it, I think it's a great story uh, of uh, entrepreneurialism. You know, uh, coming up with this idea for marketing a product for which there was a need, which you just kind of uh, came to uh, on your own, and you were in negotiations with your brother. <clears throat> Which was you thinking out, he's doubling his price, but I'm still making a handsome profit. There's a lesson to be learned in that. And uh, I think that probably added to your full arsenal of uh, business management skills. Yeah, I learned from there. It was like, I wasn't getting my hands dirty. I was making a profit. And, you know, life was good. You were a smart business man at age uh, nine? Eight or nine, yeah, somewhere in that age group, yeah. Mark, thank you for sharing that story. And sharing insight into what went into creating both your bakery business and your automotive uh, uh, suspension uh, system business and taking the time to be on the business hour. Well, thank you very much, Ron. I appreciate that very much. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you made me sound really good too. So. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the business hour here at America's Web Radio. We're on Fridays from 10 to 11 worldwide Eastern Standard Time in the USA. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on the Internet and the radio next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.